Welcome to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight. Your host is Andy Ford, one of today's leading innovators. Our show is about how ideas and technology come together to form the most buzzed about products of the 21st century. Specifically, what goes into the thought process of these innovations and the channels they go through to get to the marketplace. Now, here is Andy Ford. Welcome to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight. I'm your host, Andy Ford, coming from uh, downtown uh, at Brado HQ in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. Thanks for joining us today. I've got a very special guest that we're going to jump right in uh, and talk about. Uh, Val Toothman uh, is the Vice President of U.S. Marketing Innovation uh, and Val for, for Anheuser-Busch. And, and uh, she has overseen the development of, of all new products, packs, and she plays an integral role in the marketing behind those efforts. Her team's recent projects include the creation and national rollout of Budweiser 1933 Repeal Reserve and upcoming line extensions for the Michelob Ultra, Bud Light Lime franchises. So Val joined uh, Anheuser-Busch in 2007, worked in brand management roles in the high-end uh, libations, that's hard liquor, from 2007 to 2009. And since 2009, she has taken on positions that have increased in responsibility in marketing innovation. She's also played a part in launching more than 40 products in the market that have delivered more than $5 billion of revenue to the company. Uh, we are thrilled and excited to talk to Val. Val, thank you for joining us on the program. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, you've been uh, in the uh, the industry now for quite a few years. It's You have to have seen a lot of changes from an innovation point of view since 2007. Are there a couple that just stand out? Yeah, you know, it, it's a really interesting question. I mean, um, you know, I think the, the trends in general – are macro trends that haven't shifted dramatically um, over time, but the way they've manifested in the industry has shifted dramatically over time. So things like the macro trends of people seeking more intimate, fulfilling, sensorial experiences um, certainly is something that has has spanned my tenure of, of about a decade in the industry. But it really started out with craft back when I, I joined the industry in 2007. That was what was really hot. Um, and now it's really spanned into more of this merging of kind of fusion drinks between hard liquor and beer or wine and beer. Um, so some really interesting kind of manifestations there. Um, I think the other thing that has really shifted, um, especially in the last two years, is People have always used, whether it be, you know, alcohol or whether it be um, other things like meditation, um, energy drinks, et cetera, they've really always used different experiences and products to, to come to the mood state that they want to be in. And I would say probably the most dramatic shift we're seeing over the last couple um, of years here is the legalization of marijuana as um, a new substance that, you know, in a legal form can potentially be used for, for that mind state shift. Uh, so for me, that really is something that we're, we're watching closely, trying to understand what role beer, alcohol, et cetera, um, plays as, as that trend continues and legalization continues um, across different states in the U.S. So, for me, it's, it's always a dynamic industry and, and just kind of keeping a pulse on these things and understanding the value um, that they add to consumers' lives is a huge role for myself and my team. Yeah, Val, that's a great point when you start talking about – I love to hear, you know, especially people in innovation talk about that behavior, that more emotive and, in your words, that mood state. Um, I, I'm curious. Uh, we actually here at Brado Creative Insight helped a company create a cannabis brand in California because, to your point, in 2018, cannabis became legal there for recreation. And, of course, it's over like two or three decades. I think now it's been medically based. And my head going into the project was people who are new to cannabis are going to be looking for that beer or wine or liquor equivalent. 
And is, is that sort of your thinking as well, is that if you, you know, translate that one to the other, which I think is pretty hard, are people still using, you know, that mood enhancer of, of liquor, beer or hard liquor as sort of a, a base level for what another experience could deliver? Um, you know, what we're finding is we're doing some of the consumer work is that there's times and there's occasions where it's a one-for-one substitution um, and, and you know, where you, a lot of times, especially that wind-down at-home occasion, is where we're seeing that there could be a lot of trade-off uh, between potentially, you know, hard liquor, beer, wine, and, and marijuana. Um, but, you know, when you get into more, those more social occasions, what we're seeing is that um, unless people are kind of what you would think of as the more typical um, kind of pothead sort of stereotype where right. they do um, kind of share that experience with others, mostly through uh, the flower um, of marijuana, that, you know, a lot of people are actually turning to um, it becoming a more uh, personal experience in home and a lot of edible usage, um, et cetera. And so in those social occasions, it really doesn't take the place of beer for a lot of mm-hmm. these consumers or hard liquor or wine. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we have found that the way and the occasions in which people are using um, marijuana uh, you know, at some point can be a substitution and at other points really is a very poor tool to do the job that, that they're looking to get done, which is, um, you know, achieve the mood state they're looking for. But in particular, the main focus is socializing with other folks. That's so interesting, isn't it? Is that when I think about that, I mean, and just having done and, you know, I'll qualify this by saying <laughs> I am not an expert in the cannabis industry, but I have interviewed, <laughs> you know, for 40 to 50 other, you know, consumers who actually, you know, use the product. And I think you're hitting on something that in, in an innovation space, my head goes, ah, that just connected just now is that we had people say when it came to flour, they were still having a beer or a glass of wine. And the socialization of that experience was part of the shared moment. But I, when you mentioned edibles and suddenly I went to, oh yeah, I can forget about pens as well, is it feels like the form has changed some of the use, the usage. Um, do you think that's part of it is that, you know, when it came to packing a bowl, passing it around, sharing a joint with people, which I mean, I'm just kind of extrapolating uh, the guesstimate on that, that that's a social element. But, you know, by yourself, an edible is not a shared moment. And a vape pen, I mean, you know, you get to plug it into a USB and you're ready to go. Those feel like quicker sort of moments, I guess. Yeah, that's absolutely what we've seen. Now, again, we've we've only started to do research in this area because we're obviously limited to talking mm-hmm. to people who are of legal age and who are in states where it's legal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot of exactly kind of what we're seeing where, you know, you look at places like Amsterdam, et cetera. Um, where it's been decriminalized for, for a number of years, right, decades. And, and that's kind of where the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, right. And so, you know, when we really look to those sorts of places, what we find is that it's not that beer and liquor and wine don't exist. They actually exist and are quite healthy industries. Um, and so I think it's up to us just to make sure that we continue to keep our eye on the consumer, understand the moments in which we can make products that, that add the right value, social, emotional, and functional um, into their lives and, and, and also recognize where maybe the things, um, new things have come in that shift the landscape as well so that we continue to carve out space for our products um, and fulfill those needs as strongly as possible. It's uh, it's it sounds Val. Whenever you talk about that, um, like you really lean hard on understanding your consumer, and is how important is it or not to have a full picture of their life? Because I'm just sitting here listening to you talk about the situations, and when it comes to social or wind down or those mood states that they are looking for, there's so many factors. That could influence that. How how big of an aperture do you and your team have to have to really consider what's going on in the consumer's life? 
you know, we, we try to have as wide as an, uh, of an aperture as possible, and, and a lot of times that's where we bring in, you know, um, you know, the help of folks like, like yourselves at, at Brado and, and really try to make sure that we understand everything that's happening um, because, you know, there's, there's a huge shift when you think about things that affect or don't affect beer. Sometimes it gets quite tangential. Um, and so I think an example of that is we've really identified this shift happening in the way people define family and the way people define, um, you know, home structure. Um, and so, you know, even when you think about that, it can affect uh, quite enormously um, the ways that people bring alcohol into the home, the moments that they do it, the reasons that they do it. So when you look at kind of the shape-shifting um, family structure, you know, we see people for on two ends of the spectrum. One is multi-generational households are really growing in the U.S., and part of that is due to a rise of a demographic where shared homes across generations are much more common, like the Hispanic um, background, like the Asian background, um, you know, and then the reasons that people use alcohol in the home can be more to connect generations, to have social moments, but the kinds mm. of things they choose can either be things to celebrate the culture they come from, to, um, you know, experience the new culture they're all a part of, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where things even like the past few years, you know, it, it was kind of interesting. Um, my grandparents, I'm from a small town in Illinois, and so my grandparents don't drink a whole lot. But we used to always enjoy going to the soda shop and uh, getting a root beer float with my grandfather whenever I was younger. And so he was actually very, very excited when we created Best Damn Root Beer. And while he doesn't <laughs> drink very often, that was a really great experience and probably one of the uh, one of the only products that I've um, created in, in the decade I've been in the industry that he and I had a really good time sharing and bonding over. <laughs> Um, so you think about things like that and they can take on, you know, if I don't live with my grandparents, but if I did, it's, it's products like that that can bring people together um, across generations and people are looking for those experiences when they're in those moments. Um, and so they also, you know, look for different storage options when you have mm. bigger households. Um, and, and on the other end of the spectrum where people are now choosing to be single um, for longer and or as a life choice in total, right? Mm. It creates these micro-living situations, which also create different kinds of social anomalies, um, different kinds of packaging and storage. You know, needs. Val, I want to I want to say something here is that we're going to go to break in just yeah. a minute and, and a second here. But when I come back, I want to talk to you about some of those packaging. I know in your industry is finding those social settings. And, and obviously, you know, the, it's fascinating with the multi-generational. I want to I want to tap into that, too. But finding the right packaging and finding the right storage, it, it's an issue all into itself. Uh, we're talking with Val Toothman, who's uh, vice president of marketing innovation at Anheuser-Busch. And stick around. We'll do talk more with Val right after these messages. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Brado Innovation Labs are a fleet of mobile laboratories equipped with the tools needed to conduct in-depth innovation sessions, including rapid prototyping whenever and wherever you want it to be. Each lab is equipped with 3D printers, laser cutters, modeling software, and prototyping tools. The lab makes it easy to put prototypes into the hands of those who will be charged with the manufacturing, marketing, selling, and ultimately consuming in as little as a single day. Grotto's Innovation Sprint streamlines what typically takes a month or longer into one intense productive week. At Brado, we take an inside-out approach to innovation that marries your company's inside expertise with consumers' outside insight, all in the same room. Together, this process helps to inform, research, design, and create alignment for your innovations. Our pursuit of intense empathy and innovation manifests itself in many ways, transforming traditional components of research into something much more powerful. For more information, visit brado.net, B-R-A-D-O.net. 
The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight with Andy Ford. For more information about Brado, please visit Brado.net. Again, that's B R A D O.net. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Innovation Insiders. I'm your host, Andy Ford. Uh, forgot to mention this at the top of the show, but um, you can reach out to us during the show at andy.ford at brado.net if you have a question for Val, or you can hit me up on Twitter at aford. i uh, love to have a conversation with you there uh, or, or via email. We receive lots of comments from people about the show, and they ask questions. Often it's after the show, and so feel free to do that. Uh, you can also find Brado on Twitter at brado.insight. Uh, or you can uh, look us up online at brado.net. Now, Val, when we went to break, we were talking about the changing – and really, the, your words were redefining family and, or home. And, you know, multi-generational and, you know, from, you know, Mexican uh, to uh, Japanese and some of the different influences and those families crossing borders. But you talked a little bit about the changing, like, packaging needs or the way people are storing things. Uh, as it relates to innovation in your business, how much change have you seen in a decade in the way people store their beer or their liquor or how? You know, it's a, it's a great question. Um, we haven't seen that much change yet. And a lot of that is because we haven't provided um, consumers the tools to do it. So if you look at, you know, uh, beer packaging um, back in, let's say, 1970, it looks very similar today to how it looked in 1970. So there have been small changes along the way. We've certainly added pack sizes, et cetera. But I think we're just now getting to the point, um, I think our company as well as competitors, of really looking at the entire consumer journey and understanding where we can add more value. So understanding things like um, how do we make sure that when people are transporting, you know, we often have ignored the idea of, um, you know, and it's not always the case, but it does still over-index that the female is the shopper. And a lot of our beer packaging is, is quite uncomfortable to carry um, in that first leg of the journey when you actually purchase the beer and bring it home. And then when you're storing beer, you look at really obvious kind of innovations out there, like what soda has done to make it easier to store and access um, cans in the fridge. And so, you know, we just ran a pilot this past summer on how do we find um, maybe even one-up soda in, in finding a way to store and access um, beer in the fridge. We ran a pilot actually in Missouri and learned that half of what we were doing was really, really helpful and half of what we added to the packaging was um, not necessarily helpful and actually hurt in the transport of the beer. So um, the things that worked were scaling up as we go into 2018. Um, the things that didn't work were leaving behind. 
Um, and so just finding ways to be able to split packs, to be able to store them easier, to be able to access them while stored where cans aren't spilling all over your fridge or all over your closet um, are, are things that we're, we're really uh, trying to understand the pain point behind and create solves against. It's interesting, you know, when you start thinking about all the different occasions that you your business is has to impact or is used uh, as a tool. I mean, we're talking about you know from everything from grocery to to national chain restaurant to you know consumer. I'm sorry, C stores, which are you know convenience stores. Is there one of those areas that is changing faster than the others, or are they all sort of hitting the same arc of you know adjustment and the changing face of retail? Is there anything that you look at the marketplace and where your product is sold, and you've said this is really something that we have to address you know in the future? Um, you know, I think for us, obviously, the convenience store is a big space. Um, understanding the behavior in that channel has been especially important to us. Um, but I would say, you know, we've created some solutions there. Going forward, I think a space that is going to change more rapidly and more dynamically than any of the channels that are more traditional is kind of the e-commerce space. And so um, in, our, in our ZX Ventures organization, um, we have a whole pillar of people working on e-commerce. But when you look at things like even the, the mashing up of kind of um, technology and traditional retail, so things like the Amazon Go store, et cetera, I think those are the next generation that we're really trying to not only understand, but understand and get ahead of. What does it mean for the way our packaging um, needs to function? You know, now it becomes uh, a transport vehicle as it's always been, but even that, that secondary packaging, how do you make sure it's easy for e-commerce? How do you make sure it's easy for, you know, checking out? How do you make it more interactive? Um, you know, working with the new technologies that might come to be in either a brick-and-mortar retailer or an e-commerce environment. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of what we're trying to understand as we go into our three-year planning cycle here as well. It's, uh, it's funny you mentioned this. Is One of the things that I think we see here uh, at Brado is you're dead on with that changing face of brick and mortar and e-commerce and the pressure that comes in. And I say pressure. In some cases, it's pressure. In other cases, it's opportunity. Uh, but as an innovator, I mean, you've got to be prepared to answer both of those, you know, situations. Do you have brand teams coming to you and saying, look, we're going to go all in on one or the other, or do they have more of a balanced approach? And do they expect their innovation efforts, and I should say maybe new product or packaging to work for both, or do you have to consider them in isolation? You know, some of them are looking at how we can use both. I would mm. say the one where we've really looked at e-commerce as an opportunity space is sometimes doing things that don't make sense for brick and mortar. So I think our high-end team has done an awesome job as they've thought about innovation for the future, and that's really starting to leak over into our more core brand teams as well. Thinking about how do you use scarcity as a tool? You know, oh, we're yeah. the biggest brewer in the world, and it's hard for us to do things small. Um, you know, we can't limit which retailers get something. It's hard to limit geographies. They get something. Um, so now we're really looking at e-commerce as a way um, to be able to really target consumers differently and be able to bring limited time only options out there um, that, you know, we can still connect with our wholesaler family, you know, still making sure that they get their, their fair share of kind of the three-tier system. Um, but it allows us to, um, you know, reach certain consumers with the right pack at the right time in the right way um, in ways that can build our brands and really be a tool um, as we go into the future. So, you know, something like uh, we did a, an Advent pack a few years back that was a really, really time-intensive <laughs> um, experiment, uh, but we actually used a number of our different craft brewers um, oh. and brought together 24 beers that were super unique that you could open one each day, cans, bottles, et cetera, um, that we never could have taken to retail at scale, but was a really interesting and engaging consumer experience that we could take to the e-commerce world. 
It's so it's so funny to me is that I think about this is that you're not just let me back up and say you can't just develop a new package. You can't just work on how the brand gets executed uh, at shelf or on e-commerce. Is that your innovation pipeline, your process is about the consumer experience. I mean that's that's a comprehensive, you know, view from you know you know you know daylight to dark. Is that how can you give them this experience that enhances the journey along the way? Uh, as a as a you know tenured innovator, do you think that there's more understanding now about the consumer and their needs and their tensions, uh, or is that always been something that you've been able to dive deep in or wanted to dive deep into? Uh, do you know them better today than you used to, or, or is it you know always been sort of the same? Um, I think there's more tools now. It's always been a focus of of our part part of the organization to make sure that you know he who has the best insight wins is a good mantra of uh, my predecessor and, and Pat McGauley, who who ran the innovation team for the entire time I was a part of it uh, up until 2015 when he retired and I had the chance to take over. And so, you know, he really always pushed us to make sure that we understood um, the consumer and what they were looking for better than the other guys. Because Miller Coors, Sam Adams, Constellation, we're all talking to the same consumers in the same focus groups. Um, and so it's, it's the person who thinks differently about how to, how to pull those insights out and understand how they better fit into people's lives who really can add unique value um, to the industry. So I don't think it's changed that we have, we've always had a hyper focus on the consumer, but I think now, you know, with things like um, digital data, et cetera, we have a way to better dimensionalize not only the consumer, but also the shopper behavior at retail, whether that be in the on-premise or in the off-premise. So it helps us layer on a little bit more context Mm-hmm. Um, and, and figure out how to better target those those different consumer moments as we actually take them to retail. It's funny, uh, you know, Val. I know uh, just you know based on some research on you is that you actually have a background uh, in medical device design as well. Uh, it, <laughs> do you, as an innovator, is one of the things that's powered your career is the ability to think differently. Is that something that you lean into or have leveraged uh, to really, you know, bring Anheuser Busch, you know, new new places, new thinking? It is, and you know, if you look at my background, um, it, it spans. Uh, I kind of I like to think about myself as you know they they talk about the innovators being kind of the perfect T, where you have a number of different experiences in different areas, but then you dive deep into one. Um, and for me, you know, the connecting factor that's always created the base of my T-shaped um, personality has been that need and that curiosity and that want to create solutions that add value. So whether it's, you know, doing medical device design um, or honestly even creating, you know, wedding invitations for friends and family, um, you know, my my want to go out there in the world and understand how to create solutions um, and then bring those solutions to life in the right way at the right time for the right person um, is certainly something that, you know, gives me the most joy and has kept me a part of um, you know, the innovation community across a number of industries, uh, really for the entirety of my career. You know, we're talking with Val Toothman, uh, who is tapped onto something, Val, that I think we've heard throughout the Innovation Insiders uh, program, is that need and that curiosity, but then you put something on it that I don't think another guest has said that I really liked. It's it's your your desire to add value. Uh, it's really, really fascinating when you start thinking that, you know, these innovation uh, insiders that we've been talking to, there are some commonalities uh, between them, and it's fascinating to talk to. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk uh, with Val a little bit more about uh, developing that uh, value across teams uh, with Anheuser-Busch. So stick around with us. We'll be right back after these messages. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
The Brado Innovation Labs are a fleet of mobile laboratories equipped with the tools needed to conduct in-depth innovation sessions, including rapid prototyping whenever and wherever you want it to be. Each lab is equipped with 3D printers, laser cutters, modeling software, and prototyping tools. The lab makes it easy to put prototypes into the hands of those who will be charged with the manufacturing, marketing, selling, and ultimately consuming in as little as a single day. Brado's Innovation Sprint streamlines what typically takes a month or longer into one intense productive week. At Brado, we take an inside-out approach to innovation that marries your company's inside expertise with consumers' outside insight, all in the same room. Together, this process helps to inform, research, design, and create alignment for your innovations. Our pursuit of intense empathy and innovation manifests itself in many ways, transforming traditional components of research into something much more powerful. For more information, visit brado.net, B-R-A-D-O dot We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight with Andy Ford. For more information about Brado, please visit brado.net again that's b-r-a-d-o dot net now back to the show welcome back i'm andy ford you're listening to innovation insiders my guest this week is val toothman and uh, val is a infinitely fascinating person uh, who's had a chance to run a lot of innovation projects uh, across a lot of teams and there's some for major brands uh, for a number of years. Val, when it comes to getting teams on the same page and moving an idea from a concept through to, you know, uh, agreement and then, you know, moving forward the brand with an initiative. Are there tips or techniques that you found that really help people get alignment faster? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's really the crux of what we do because the best idea without the right buy-in, as I'm sure you've heard from a number of people, just doesn't go anywhere and won't end up making impact, right? Um, So, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is I I try to, both when I was a manager of innovation projects as a director and now overseeing the team that I try to impart is the biggest thing is involve as many people as you can early, make sure they understand what we're doing, give everyone a voice in being able to raise as many critical path issues as they think will kill the project at the very, very start. Um, and we have a process for that. We call it chartering, um, where we bring um, all the cross-functional teams together. We lay out the strategy of what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're thinking about the challenge. Um, because the more of that stuff you uncover up front, the more likely you are to be able to move things relatively smoothly throughout the process. Um, so for me, I think that that upfront buy-in is absolutely right. critical. But really after that point, it's involving the right people at the right time and the mindset that it's about collaboration, but not innovation by committee. That's um, a fine line. Talk to me a little bit about that. 
you know, collaboration, I love that term, collaboration but not innovation by committee. What's the difference between those two? So I think, you know, collaboration is making sure that you're finding the right people with expertise and institutional knowledge so that you can, you know, move as quickly as possible and be as right as possible in the shortest amount of time. Um, but innovation by committee is everyone has a say. Um, and the reality is some people are innovators and some people are not. Um, yeah. And, you know, people are going to have different opinions about uh, different pieces. Um, but you have to have one person at the center of a project who is an expert on the consumer, who's tapping into their cross-functional teams to understand the elements it takes to get, um, you know, a project to market but it is always making sure we tie it back to what are the right trade-offs to make in order to get there. Um, you know, if we can't make the right packaging, should we just pause the project until we can? Because that's critical for the consumer, right? Um, if we can't hit the right beer in the time frame we have, should we go? Or based on what we know from the consumer, should we wait? Because it's actually quite critical um, for us to make the breakthrough um, to have something that is, truly different than what exists today. So, again, that's where, you know, everybody kind of weighing in is one thing, but then making sure we always have one decision maker and that that decision maker is as close as physically possible to the consumer um, is where we found the most success over time. It's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, Val, is that when you think about it, I like to think that everybody can play a role in innovation. Uh, but you and you're talking about your chartering process. And one of the things you, you just said was you, you have to have that person who's the expert on the consumer. It, it sounds like keeping this close to that behavior of the consumer is critical. No matter who's involved with the project, no matter where the tie-ins occur, it sounds like you keeping that on point with what the consumer need is, is one of those driving factors. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the further a project gets along its path of going to market is where you start to see the triangulation. For us, it's about making sure we have something that's right for the consumer, that works for the strategy of the company, and then that works within our wholesaler system and within our retailer partner system. And it, we have to find something that adds value to each level. Um, but you also can't give one person um you know, an oversized voice. And I think a good example is we just created the Budweiser 1933 repeal reserve um, this past year that we, we rolled out in November of 2017. Um, and we knew this was something where we were, we were putting a special spin on something only Budweiser could do. Uh, when we went to one of our very uh, biggest, most powerful chain partners in the off-premise, um, they did not want to charge more for this than for Budweiser. And we knew from our consumer work, it was actually a quite important signal to charge more. Um, we were also making something that for our wholesaler partners, for it to make sense, et cetera, et cetera, we really needed, um, you know, to, to be realizing the value we were creating. Um, and so there was a lot of internal debate, right, kind of the innovation by committee versus innovation by collaboration. <laughs> Right. And we had some very strong proponents of, you know, we should make it the same price as Budweiser because we don't want this retailer not to not to pick it up, not to endorse it, not to take it. Um, but I think I was very proud of the organization and, and the person who was leading the project on our team um, for really fighting for keeping that what it was. And the reality was, you know, that we, we passed on the opportunity um, with that retailer and said we're sticking to our guns. This is what consumers believe it's worth. It's an important signal to the market on how and why it's different um, mm -hmm. than our base Budweiser brand. And, and so this is how we're choosing to take it to market. We would love to have you as a partner, but if you don't accept the pricing um, you know, strategy we have behind it, we understand that as well. And you know, as long as it's, as it's successful, we would plan to bring it next year and we'd love to partner with you then. Um, and the reality of that was it was a product that really – we intended to have from the start of November through the end of December that essentially we sold through 60% of the inventory in the first wow. three weeks in market. <laughs> that's um, that's got to feel good, doesn't it? That, that you, that you were right, that the insight was on and that you had, you know, measured the marketplace correctly. It's got to feel good. 
It does. It does. And it doesn't happen every time, right? But, <laughs> sure. but when it does, I think that's a great example that just continues to empower, you know, our the managers on the innovation team and on the brand teams and, and our sales folks across the organization to say, you know, when we've got the right insights, we have to stick to them. Um, because that's that's what it takes to change the game for our brands and for our industry. So, you, um, got you know, the, kind you, of a you, very micro example, but one right. that I think is a good reinforcement to give okay. our teams the hoot spot to continue to do that over time. <laughs> that's right. It, there is something about having a, a little bit of a swagger or, you know, the brass tacks to go, guys, we're, trust us, this is something that is going to make a difference for your brand. Um, is it, but you know, when I, and I, I looked up the repeal, uh, reveal, um, uh, and it, I mean, it's a fascinating look. I mean, you know, the, uh, the homage to the old, the classic bottle, uh, you know, that's a big brand. I mean, Budweiser is a massive player. Is it harder to innovate around a big brand than it would be say, you know, a smaller brand you're dealing with, or are there challenges inherent in both? I think there's challenges inherent in both, right? When you're when you're working with a brand like Budweiser, um, you know you're kind of standing on the shoulder of giants, and you're bringing right. people have such a such a clear idea of what they believe Budweiser stands for. Um, I think the exciting part about working with a brand like Budweiser um, is that so many people have such an innate love for the brand. Um, and unfortunately, there's a great number of people who believe they don't like the beer, even though they probably haven't had one in over a decade or sometimes ever. <laughs> um, yes. And so, you know, you get the chance to tap into something that people, a brand that people love, that if you can give them a taste profile that intrigues them enough and a story um, and a reason to try a beer from that brand, um, you know, it can, it can be a really, really powerful thing. Um, whereas when you're starting with a smaller brand or creating something from scratch, um, it's a different story, right? You're not tapping into really a legacy or a brand equity that, uh, people are already positive toward necessarily, but you, so there you really have to capture them with the extremity of the idea. Um, Mm. so you really have to be groundbreaking. You know, you can't, take a brand that is maybe unknown and just bring a normal IPA, right? Um, Because there's lots of IPAs out there from brands that that are either well-known, et cetera, et cetera. So then you have to think about kind of a little bit of the dogfish head sort of mentality, right? How do I do something um, that has an extreme story that really captures um, the imagination and that really breaks through? Or you do something like Goose Island, which is, you make the best damn IPA in the industry, right? Um, And you get enormous accolades from something like that. And then you start to build that equity and that reputation. Um, So I think it goes both ways. And and to me, all of those different kinds of challenges are extraordinarily exciting and energizing to our team to be able to tackle. It's fascinating uh, to me is that I think about you, you, you actually hit the nail on the head is that um, one of the owners of our, of our company is a, giant advocate of uh, Budweiser. And matter of fact, every time I'm out in a social setting with him, he if I go to the bar for him, I get him uh, two bottles because he doesn't want to have to go back as quickly as the first bottle is going to. But I have heard him on more than one occasion <laughs> educate a bartender on how to pour Budweiser. And it's, you know, but he's a huge advocate. And so he actually translated that over for me. And that, hey, this is how you drink it, and this is how it tastes, and this is why it tastes that way. But to your point, those people who think they don't like it, they might not have tried it in a decade. So, I mean, part of your job is, you know, reintroducing that to people, which I'm sure has its own set of challenges. It does. It does. And, you know, the part that, um, you know, we work on there with with the Budweiser brand team who has a huge initiative behind, um, you know, taking back the conversation around quality. Um, for American lager and and Budweiser is obviously the flagship American lager in the industry. Um, You know, they have a lot of initiatives out there for us. When we think about that base brand, um, it's it's about reminding people that yes, it is a very big brand, but it became that way because it was such a great beer. It started very, very small um, and so many people loved it that we happened to make a lot of it. 
um, over the course of, of a century. Um, you know, it was the thing that traveled, uh, you know, that, that had so much demand that we had to do things like invent rail cars with refrigeration to get it yeah. to people who wanted it outside of St. Louis, et cetera. So yeah. what we really look at with that base brand is, you know, we don't want to change the recipe. It's an amazing recipe that when people taste it blind, um, it, it generally blows all competition out of the water. Um, but just packaging it in a way that reminds people of the quality, communicating it in a way that reminds people of the quality. And then ultimately, I think one of the biggest things you'll see that feels like a little bit of a no-brainer is just reminding people that, you know, this is a brand, um, it's made by amazing people, the best brewmasters in the world from the best ingredients in the world, um, humanizing the brand yeah. and, and reminding people it's it's made at a brewery, not a factory. Right. Made in the it United is, States by is, folks you probably have met or couldn't or could meet. I mean there yeah, that's a you're right. The story behind it just is needs to be refreshing. And I also love, love when innovators, you know, at least talk about the fact that being big isn't necessarily bad. There's a reason. We got, we got to that scale, uh, and we're talking uh, with Val Toothman, uh, who's uh, had a wonderful career, vice president of marketing innovation at Anheuser-Busch. And when we come back after this break, uh, Val, we've got a really neat thing we like to do. We call it the Innovator's Confession, and uh, it's a set of uh, quick questions that we're going to hit uh, that I think you'll enjoy. So come back after this break, and Val will take us through her confession. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The Brado Innovation Labs are a fleet of mobile laboratories equipped with the tools needed to conduct in-depth innovation sessions, including rapid prototyping whenever and wherever you want it to be. Each lab is equipped with 3D printers, laser cutters, modeling software, and prototyping tools. The lab makes it easy to put prototypes into the hands of those who will be charged with the manufacturing, marketing, selling, and ultimately consuming in as little as a single day. Brado's Innovation Sprint streamlines what typically takes a month or longer into one intense productive week. At Brado, we take an inside-out approach to innovation that marries your company's inside expertise with consumers' outside insight, all in the same room. Together, this process helps to inform, research, design, and create alignment for your innovations. Our pursuit of intense empathy and innovation manifests itself in many ways, transforming traditional components of research into something much more powerful. For more information, visit brado.net, B-R-A-D-O dot Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight with Andy Ford. For more information about Brado, please visit brado.net again that's b-r-a-d-o.net now back to the show 
Welcome back to the Innovator's uh, Confession. My name is, uh, uh, we're going to do the Innovator's Confession. <laughs> I'm talking with Val Toothman, and uh, I received some emails and messages uh, throughout this broadcast, but frankly, it's been so fascinating uh, to just talk with Val that just trust me, I will answer your questions after uh, we get off the air here. Uh, Val, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our Innovator's Confession, and so the first question we're going to ask you is, is surprise me. Tell me about the innovation that might catch us all off guard in the next five years. Ooh, that's a good question. You want something in our industry or just in any industry? Any, any. Uh, you're, you're, you're a creative individual. I'll, I'll allow you to move outside the bounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think, uh, I think the innovation around um, transportation and self-driving cars, um, when that actually uh, becomes a reality, um, I think that that will be an absolute explosion of innovation that already exists in other forms, um, getting applied to a new area to create extraordinary value. So I, I had the chance to work with, um, you know, and meet with, with some innovators within the car and the auto industry. And I think that could be, from a consumer behavior standpoint, closer than I ever thought it could be. And when I think mm. about the innovation that can happen around that, um, I, I think it's that's actually a, a really, really fascinating area for me that that I'm just now starting to uh, get on my own radar. That's 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 that is no one has said that, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's a potential game change. I mean, really. I mean, we're talking about giving people back hours of their lives potentially, and, and other things. I'm sure. Okay, I'm going to move yeah. on with your questions. What are the top three words to describe an innovative individual? Ooh, um, I think probably top three words. I would say humble. Mm. Um hungry and honest. Um, and I think it's, you know, somebody who's humble enough to learn from those who came before them, um, as well as from their own mistakes, owning those and changing. I think hungry, uh, because they're never satisfied. They're constantly curious. Um, and, and they're trying to make bold moves and they can't help but create what's never been created. <laughs> um, and then I think honest because they really look at the consumer and they really look at what they're building and they really challenge whether or not what they're doing is going to add value in the world or whether it's for their own or their company's own edification. I love it. Uh, and not only does that make sense to me, but I love alliteration. And so the <laughs> having the humble, hungry, and honest together makes a lot of sense. I, I think you're, you've mentioned this once or twice, is that you know, standing on the shoulders of those that have come before us, and yet you're trying to do something completely new and different. How do you pay homage to your predecessors and, and not let that history hold you back? It's a good question, and oftentimes, I, you know, I challenge my team on, on kind of that. I think the beauty of innovation, and I can't remember where I read it. I'd love to cite whoever it was who said it. It was certainly not me. Um, but, you know, there really is no new innovation. It's, um, it's applying ideas that already exist in a context in which they haven't yet been applied in mm. order to create new value. And I think, to me, that's that's the ultimate of, of innovation is, you know, just kind of through the associative properties, through um, observing, um, through networking, through experimenting, kind of the innovator's DNA core principles from Clay Christensen, mm. um, you know, just really understanding, uh, you know, how and where value is created in the world in different industries so that when an idea and an opportunity arises in your own industry, you can kind of hijack um, and kind yeah. of co-op uh, that sort of behavior and bring it to your own consumers who you're serving in order to create new value. I love that. If Other than your own company, what company do you think is the most innovative in the world today? Um, it feels like a little bit of a fallback answer. I could also give you a more niche answer, but you know, I think it's hard to deny right now that Amazon is really pushing the boundaries. Right. Um, you know, they are doing every kind of form of innovation. Um, 
you know, I didn't realize I just met with somebody the other day that talked about even kind of the new brands that they're creating internally. Um, and, and those have not even started to get on my radar. Um, and so I see that they're looking at kind of the 10 types of innovation mm-hmm. and not really limiting to just product or, or just retail experience. You know, they are innovating across the spectrum in a way that is um, extremely admirable and, and incredibly inspiring. It's almost a little bit daunting, isn't it? I mean, when you think about the thing, I mean, from healthcare to your point about devices and 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 in their own brands, it's it's almost. If, I mean, honestly, you could talk about them all day long, every day, as it relates to innovation. I love the fact that you brought up the ten types of innovation. And when you start thinking about those ten types, if if I were to ask you, is is there somebody in your past or you know in the world or an author you read or read commonly that you think is that's the master of innovation. That's the person who does it the right way. Does anybody pop to your mind? Um, I would say the person that I probably rely on the most um, is kind of the the history that Clay Christensen has built. So, mm. you know, everything from, you know, I, I, I talked about the innovator's DNA um, to um, a friend of Anheuser-Busch Innovation who he collaborated with, Bob Moesta, in his kind of latest book, Competing Against Luck, um, you know, the innovator, uh, innovator solution, innovator's dilemma, et cetera, how will you measure your life? Um, to me, he's really kind of the godfather of taking what otherwise seems like, once you read it, obvious insight and obvious methodology and obvious framework and codifying it in a way that generations can kind of think about and align teams um, of, of innovators and, and allow them to kind of think about how to do their job more effectively. So for me, it's, it's probably him uh, when I think about one individual who's probably been the most uh, impactful, impactful in the way I think about innovation. If, if, and last question I'm going to ask, Val, is uh, we kind of – we've tossed it around. We've talked about it. But I think you and I both know is that you know innovators are like notorious shit disturbers uh, in your career. Can you think back as when you've had one of those or seen one of those awesome shit disturbing moments when you know the apple cart got turned upside down and you knew that the day that tomorrow was going to wake up and there was going to be a completely different thought process? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing for us, I would say, if I if I think about it in when that's happened in our own company, um, you know, it was really back um, when uh, in, in kind of the 2010, 2011 timeframe, when our company finally realized that, you know, we are great M&A, uh, a great M&A organization, but as we move into the future, we really needed to understand what it took to grow revenue organically. Um, and for, for me, they had an offsite um, at Stanford with our executive board of management, Brito, and all of his direct reports that my boss, Pat Magoli, attended. And I just remember Pat coming back from that um, and our, our U.S. president, um, North American president at the time, Luis uh, uh, Edmund, coming back. And just the excitement and the energy I saw in them to really start exploring and thinking differently about how we needed to grow our business. To me, it was the first moment when I was at Anheuser-Busch that I realized innovation was going to be different from here on out. And it's really proven to be that way for the last kind of eight years. Um, And that's really what excites me and my team every day uh, is the mindset the company has toward um, never settling, continuing to push toward uh, what it takes to grow, reinventing our structure and our processes and our frameworks where needed um, in order to kind of stay ahead of where consumers are going and therefore shape the industry um, in a way that both adds value to consumers and then allows us to extract that value back out so that ABI can continue to grow at extraordinary rates. So for I me, want about, you know, I want to tell you an internal moment. That is a great that's a great, you know, quote. As I start thinking about this, is that you've been able to witness firsthand the changing uh, of a company, but but 
changing only as it continues to innovate. Uh, my guest has been Val Toothman. She's the Vice President of Marketing Innovation at Anheuser-Busch. Val, thank you for the time today. It has been a really, really riveting conversation, and I know something that our guests, uh, that our listeners have enjoyed. We, we really appreciate you being a part of this program. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Uh, Good. Join us next week uh, for uh, another great uh, program. Um, You've been listening to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight. Hope you guys have a great day. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening this week to Innovation Insiders with Grotto Creative Insight. Please join host Andy Ford again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, innovate.